0: The banks of the Great River, high above the Allure Gorge. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Indie music, new releases, industry insiders, out-of-the-box conversations with guests from the true north, from the west coast to the east coast, to across the pond, and from down under. And now, here is Shay. Hey y'all, I am Shay.
1: This is the Buzzer Podcast. Independent music releases, global coverage, on-air indie, from iPad to yours, over the airwaves. Welcome and enjoy the top four episodes of Season 1 Air this week. These are the top four of the Season 1 shows with leading fan engagement, subscribes, and download count. Tonight we have Mir from Toronto, Canada. The original broadcast aired on April the 1st. Mercurato is releasing a single this December, David Bowie's "Assassin." Enjoy the show. We have Mercurato on the show this week. Mercurato is a music collective presenting reinterpretations of glam era hits and B-sides. From Toronto, band members Kevin Connolly and Alexander Sasha Tukach are joining us. Singer, composer... And actor Kevin Connolly is the band's male lead vocal. He is acclaimed for his versatility, range, and impeccable voice. Kevin co-founded New Regime, the 80s New wave Band. He was frontman and lead vocalist for Canadian-based Life on Mars project, celebrating the music of David Bowie. He is the founder of the band Iron Age Mystics, which produced a 2016 album, hailed as the best political rock album since the Rage Against the Machines debut. Sasha is the band's drummer, engineer, and co-producer. His Toronto production space was the hub for artists that would be named Mercureto, and where the band's debut was conceived, captured, mangles, and mix. Sasha was drum programmer with Platinum Blonde, later joining the band as drummer when Chris Steffler left the band in 1985. It's an outstanding episode with incredible talent and a great discussion. Enjoy. Welcome, Sasha and Kevin.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Shay. Great to be here.
3: Hello, Shay.
1: Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the time. Time, you, know, you two have been together for quite some time. You met back in 1987?
3: 85, I think. 85,
1: 86.
2: 85. Uh, I, yeah, I was going to say 85, 85. Oh, okay. Uh, we met uh, on the uh, Platinum Blonde tour
1: the reason I was questioning the dates is I saw that Sasha replaced Chris Duffler in 1987 on Platinum Bond as a drummer uh, and uh, New Regime, what was your band Kevin Uh, on uh, the Discogs or whatever, it says 1982 to 87, so when was the crossover like when did you meet on the Alien Shores tour?
2: Oh yeah, Um, as I recall it about 85, 85 and a bit Somewhere in there. Whenever uh, we first took off at the Alien Shores tour was when Sash and I met. Uh, he wasn't... Uh, at the time, Chris Steffler was uh, the drummer for uh, Platinum Blonde, uh, and we were opening on the Alien Shores tour across most of... Uh, all of east of east eastern Canada and most of western Canada, or a great, great deal of it anyway. Uh, and so Sash was doing tech, and he was also... Uh, what would you call it, Sash? You were filling in with percussive stuff around Chris's yeah. playing. and what, what would you say
3: that would Yeah, support. Su- support yeah. musician. Support musician. Uh, and and yeah. tech guy. I went from being uh, a, uh, on underneath the riser to being on top of the riser. That's the way I like to say it.
1: Okay, so I figured there was a story behind the crossover uh, because the dates uh, the dates weren't messing for me. So can can you tell us a bit of a background of uh, in, that you had in music, your musical start? Uh,
3: you go, Sash. Uh, well, okay, I'll go first. Uh, born from a musical family uh, and uh, had a passion for it. Was always surrounded by equipment and. Uh, So that's kind of uh, how that started, Uh, music appreciation on Sundays. And then drum lessons, uh, piano lessons, and then schooling, uh, post-secondary school in Salzburg uh, at the Mozarteum. And then uh, Berkeley in Boston, and then Humber in uh, Toronto.
1: Yeah, you went to the uh, Bar- Berkley, uh School of Music for three semesters? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, what I found was interesting about your background is you started drums
3: at age three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's incredible. Yeah, I have uh, pictures to, to back that up. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, I was gifted uh, a drum, I guess, yeah. Maybe it was supposed to be an art piece, but I, I gravitated towards it. We had uh, m- uh, melodicas that you blew in, and it had a keyboard. Uh, there was a piano. There was a guitar. There were mandolins. There was a bunch of stuff always lying around. And uh, yeah, sad. so that was my the, the first picture that I have of me with a drum is at age three. Yeah, I thought
1: that was outstanding, mostly at, at age three. And Kevin, what about you?
2: Uh, pretty much the opposite of Sash. I grew up in an A musical family. Uh, nobody played anything. Uh, my mother, uh, God lover, was as tone deaf as it gets. <laughs> although my father swore that he was a very good singer, although I never uh. heard him sing. Uh, so, yeah, I started off my musical venture by studying piano when I was in grade five and six. Uh, and as uh, fate would have it, I decided that I was going to up the game and I re- it developed a real passion for singing. When I was, when we moved to uh, a place in Scarborough, 1360 Danforth, uh, I did something. I don't even know what it was, but I was a kid and I did something really stupid. Uh, and I got grounded by my mom, who was pretty fierce, uh, for about a year. And so, what I would do is, I'd come home from school, uh, I'd open up the windows, I'd put on some records, and I'd sing to them, and uh, Beatles and Beach Boys and whatever I was uh, passionate about in the day. And, uh, and I would imagine that I would be singing for, you know, uh, people's and uh, love and applause and kind of a spiritual thing. Uh, and I just sang and I sang and I sang and I sang and I sang. And uh, it was pretty much you know the the gift of the you know the light side of the dark side of getting grounded for a really long time as I discovered that uh, that was really my primary passion in life. um not to say that I was very good at it from the top uh, I didn't i I, I auditioned for, <laughs> I auditioned for the grade seven choir. They needed boys, and I still didn't make it. so um <laughs> there was a bit of a learning curve there's Yeah, there was a bit of a learning curve with this whole singing thing, but uh, I think I did. I I think I worked it out. Well,
1: you have an incredible voice.
2: Oh, thank you, Shay. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and so was was the Sam Shepard play you were in? Was that a musical or was that just acting?
2: No, uh, the Sam Shepard play was uh, my first. uh, uh, It was my first, I guess, serious theater venture um what had happened was was that when i was in high school um a a dramatic arts teacher who used to be uh he was taking a hiatus he was an off-broadway director Uh, his name is robert vogel and uh he was happened to be teaching my class in my high school and uh it took a particular shining for me and uh, throughout the class and uh, asked me to audition for uh, Sam Shepard's uh, uh, one act uh, called Action, uh, which, of course, as you know, as far as American theatre goes, it doesn't really get any more serious, dark, and uh, wonderfully written than, say, Sh- Sam Shepard.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so here I am a kid. I audition. I get uh, one of the two leads. And uh, away we go. And so it went up in what, what I, I don't know if they still do it, uh, but it was called the Sears Drama Festival, basically an Ontario wide competition for uh, theater. Uh, and lo and behold, I uh, really grabbed a hold as a kid of this, uh, well, a teenager, anyways, uh, of this role and won uh, several uh, uh, acting awards, uh, awards of merit and um, in the finals, I recall the adjudicator, after the three last plays had run, had said "I, I have this very dark I had this very dark monologue at the end of the play uh, mm-hmm. and I could hear people this is this is a you know a seventeen year old kid and I could hear people weeping uh because it was very it was very dark and sad closing to uh, the play and the adjudicator mm-hmm. got up at the end and said, Well uh, I I was awarded yet another award of merit, and he said, uh, and this really resonated with me. I was like down to the atoms. He said it was the best two minutes of acting he'd seen anywhere in years—film, television, or theater. Wow! And uh, yeah, and so that was that was that's <laughs> that was where I got my feet wet in in acting, and and uh, yeah, it went on from there. Of yeah. Course.
1: Thank you for sharing that. No, when I saw that you had a starring role as a teenager in a Sam Shepard play, I thought we'd better talk about it because that's quite a a feat. That's quite a feat. <laughs> and you joined your first band when you were fifteen on keys. Uh,
2: yeah, I was. I originally started off as a keyboard player, and. Uh, as I said, I, I grew in ambition because I, I'd be playing keys for, you know, a cover band or something, and uh, and I'd be listening to the singer going, oh, God, I could do that better than you. <laughs> Cocky kid that I was. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and so I became, when New Regime became, I, I, I think I was about 19 at the time, uh, and when we were in that interim stage where you're playing, uh, small punky clubs in Toronto, uh, and we first acquired our manager uh, for the next five years, Jake Gold, um, I, would, I would be playing keyboards and I would be singing. And then I would be playing, singing behind the keyboards. And Jake noticed that every time I would go behind the keyboards, the audience members that were dancing would sit down uh, or very often sit down. And so it was his idea to get a full-time keyboard player so that I could just flat out front the band without any show interruptions of that kind, you know? Or, uh, or you know, just as basically, basically do what front men do, which is try to keep the audience entertained while uh, jumping around and singing at the same time. So, so that's how I uh, just became front man alone as opposed to front man and keyboard player for New Regime. Yeah.
3: Was that was that was that a tough transition?
2: It was it, it was sash only okay. because of the, you know I, it reminds me of something that Bowie said that he used to have to put on characters, because he was generally a pretty shy guy, uh, so fronting a band for him was much easier when he when he was in character and as a person who you know, has a theater background. I understand that it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's actually easier to play someone else than it is to just be yourself. And so my little safe haven behind the keyboards disappeared. Right. I'd like, I couldn't just kind of, you know, uh, I I couldn't go into, you know, a semi introvert mode and hide. be in your own world. Yeah. Be in my own world and hide behind my instruments. So that did take a bit to get used to Sash, Yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: And what do you what do you prefer, being front man or being behind the scenes?
2: i'd well I. or behind I'd, the keyboard. I basically now I mostly play keyboards for pleasure and I mostly play keyboards to write parts for, you know, uh whatever work I'm doing creatively. Uh but I've I've grown, I think, uh, into identifying with myself as being a frontman and a front man alone. I have no real urge to go back to the keyboards on stage. And besides there's far for, I've been spoiled with so much talent. There's so many keyboard players who do it so much better than I could have ever. Uh, I, I, I'm comfortable with just being the front man now. The so.
1: well, new regime was uh, quite successful. Um, you were uh, you were very successful until there was a uh, a culture change or a corporate change. Uh, we did national tours, uh, uh, opening act for Platinum Blonde at Maple Leaf Gardens.
3: I was there for that. Yeah, just a
2: tiny correction on that. We weren't opening for Platinum Blonde at Maple Leaf Gardens. We actually played Maple Leaf Gardens twice. The f- the first time uh was with it was a New Year's Eve show uh with uh Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, uh a popular uh UK band, and the Thompson and, and the Thompson twins. Uh and that's where Sasha uh He he was at that one. And the second time we played Maple Leaf Gardens was with the release of New Regime's second album, The Race. And that was opening for Level 42, another very popular British band at the time. Uh, So, yeah, that was just a small correction. We, we of course, did open for Platinum Blonde several, and many and several times, but it wasn't at Maple Leaf Gardens that we did that. There you go.
1: Oh, no, I appreciate it. I actually did read that prior to the show. I just didn't put it on my notes, and I sort of blended it in my head the wrong way. <laughs> so uh, I'll just crack that. No,
2: oh, no worries. <laughs> but, Sashi, you were going to talk about uh, your involvement there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. and say.
3: No, no, no. I was just uh, saying uh, that, yes, uh, Kevin has uh, played – Maple Leaf Gardens on a number of occasions. And I had the pleasure of uh, being there for one, if not two of them. And that's where we met. We're just looping back.
1: And what And what was it like the end. Uh, drumming from Platinum nice. Blonde, Sasha? Interesting. <laughs> okay. That sounds um, heavy. Did I open up the other words? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: No, it, it, yeah, to be honest, I mean, it, 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 it was a great time, uh, to come up. Uh, I think I was, uh, 21, something like that. 21, 22. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, I do have a little story to tell. And that, uh, is for all the young listeners out there. When I lived in Windsor <clears throat> and was playing with Gordy Johnson after my, uh, Berkeley days, um, We were playing clubs a lot, and one day uh, while in Detroit, uh, I saw a tour bus, and I said, I'm sick and tired of playing in clubs. I want to get on a tour bus. In short order, uh, I got a phone call to come to Toronto and meet with Platinum Blonde. They were going out to promote Alien Chores, or yeah, Alien Chores, and they needed a drum tech and someone who could perhaps play some additional percussion and take care of the technical end. And uh, so I got, on, I, I got the offer and, and I got onto a bus. Funny how if you put it out to the universe, uh, if you do it with good intention, it will come back to you oftentimes. Mm-hmm. What I failed to mention mm-hmm. or yeah. ask for was uh a good pay grade and so you know you got onto the tin can but the pay sucked uh but it was it was my my uh tenure as a novice on that level and uh i had a crew that embraced me and i got to learn a lot very quickly uh for if i hadn't then i surely would have been kicked off that tour and, uh, and then I got to the point where I put out to the universe. I'm, I'm done and tired of, of servicing other musicians, although it's a great lesson and I implore all my students and any musician to go out on the road and be subservient and, uh, you know, uh, learn the tools of the trade of, of how to put on a show. Um, I was tired of it and done with it. And I said, I, I want to get up on stage. And then in short order, I got the phone call. Would you like to audition for uh, Platinum Blonde as being the drummer? So that's why I say interesting.
1: There's one question I have. <laughs> it's crazy, but I've uh, I've met some other Platinum Blonde members that are uh, interviewed them. I've never asked this. Did you guys, was it required for you to dye your hair Platinum Blonde?
3: No, it wasn't required. It was uh, a thing. And by the time I joined them, there was that shift that you had mentioned earlier on uh, within the industry. And so the blondes actually went to a more rootsy color. Yeah. uh, yeah. Which is what contact their third record was. And uh, the blonde started to disappear. Oh, Okay. I was just wondering, but you know, it's, uh, I would say it's akin to, if you work for MAC Cosmetics, they hand you the apron. Yeah. If that that makes any sense. uh, There is that look, right? And and why would you go against it?
1: So you you were the drummer on the Alien Shores Tour and Chris No.
3: No. No? No. No. I was the drum tech on the Alien Shores Tour. And that was called the Alien Invasion Tour. Yeah. I was underneath the stage for that. Okay.
1: All right. So let's get back to the music. Uh, your band, now, you formed uh, with uh, Kevin as lead vocals and yourself as a drummer, uh, Mercurietto. Did I say it right?
3: Mercurietto. Mercurietto.
1: It- um We're coming up to track one. Mercurietto.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you guys told me you had a contest of people uh, pronouncing that, so...
2: Yeah, it's 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 the pitfall you fall into when you make up a word that doesn't exist and people got to figure out how to say it. So, yeah. yeah. Time will come. Everybody will know Mercuretto.
1: Yeah, but it's really cool. It's
0: really
1: good. Yeah, Mercuretto. Okay, Dancing Barefoot. Um, it's a cover uh, you did uh, of a Patti Smith song. Yeah. Um, absolutely love your rendition Thank of you. it. Uh the uh you talk about that? Like uh the spoken word seems different than the original in the yeah, track.
2: that is absolutely correct.
1: It's more dramatic. It is. It's it's more dramatic. Like I have an acting background too, and I immediately picked it up. I love it. I thought it was better than the original, tell you Oh good,
2: good, good, good. Yeah.
3: It's empowering, right?
2: Yeah. I, I, I think of it that way too. Uh, how that came about was was as as we did with all Mercuretto songs uh, that we were tackling, which were all covers. Is is the idea was essentially to you know inhabit the song and do it our own way, spontaneously, artistically. Um, I I myself uh, always thought of it as being part music, part theater, and thus you know uh the the very dramatic performances uh that were that 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 the musicians gave were right at my alley uh and I could run with a song like that in my own direction um i suppose you could call me uh vocal director of the uh, of the Mercuretto album i made the decision that patty smith or patty smith obviously um You know, being a lady, I thought, well, it would, you know, the subject matter might be in a different way, kind of romantic and equally as interesting if the song was sung by a male, me, myself. Uh, But I felt that the icing on the cake was was that I asked Tonya Godino, the other uh, lead vocalist in Mercuretto, the lady uh, who I've worked with for years and years, decades Mm -hmm. even, like Sash, to take the ending, which... Uh, and she also, too, has uh, an acting theater background. And she said, well, what would you like? I said, I'd, I'd like what you want to do. And uh, honestly, uh, I was sitting beside Sash in the studio at the time, and when I heard her one-take-wonder ending of the song, I, I, it it almost brought tears to my eyes. I, was, I said, T, that's out of the park, out of the park, and... You know, so I'm I'm glad yourself as well, Shay, having a theater background picked up on that, is uh, it it just it just iced.
1: No, I, I was blown away. No,
2: yeah, thank you.
0: Thank.
1: I was blown away. I actually had I went back and forth. I listened to the original, then the cover, then the original, the cover, just to make sure I was right <laughs> on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just it's completely. Different, no, it was amazing. I love the way you did it, and also the entrance into the song on with the keyboard. I thought was a, a good touch. Yeah, that was
2: that was well. Obviously, it was it was it, it
3: makes it dramatic. Yeah,
2: it does, it does. And that was Rob Cooper, our keyboard player's invention. Um, you know, it it's difficult to say really from the twelve songs that we recorded who took the lead in what, and I don't really think it matters that much. But I do remember Rob as being particularly uh, incentivizing uh he was the first one i think who had really uh strong creative ideas that he got excited about and i think the rest of us kind of fell in line behind that for for the first bit of production on that song but uh yeah and i think his keyboard playing at the beginning mm-hmm. is spontaneous and wonderful so yeah thank you jay
1: awesome so we're going to we're going to uh, listen to dancing barefoot uh, released february 25th of this year
3: mercuretto
1: <laughs> 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 i ugly guys
0: trading on here chosen of she
1: Absolutely, you did it. You're really good. I wouldn't even call it a cover, like it. It's like completely. To me, it was a completely uh, new work of art, even though it's from a, an original song. I love the way you did it.
2: Thank you, Shay. I, I kind of hold out hopes that maybe Patty Smith herself would hear it and go, "You know, I think that this is a groovy bit of work these guys and gal did with uh, with our song," and I actually say something. You know, I don't know. It's it's just a just a dream of mine, I guess. But yeah.
1: Did you or do you send the music to the original artists or do you just let them pick it up if they hear it?
2: Um myself I haven't made Yes and yes. Okay, you answer this one, Sash. Go go.
3: We have sent out um to members of, of the New York Dolls, actually, uh, originally when at first we were working on it. Um, Patty Smith has not gotten it. Uh, and some of these legacy acts uh, no longer are alive or the members, the original members, are no longer part of it. Um, but that certainly is part of the...
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, True we'll enough. reach out and let them know that it's out there, but, you know, not force it down to anyone's throat much like how you came to Mercuretto it was you know through social media and it being posted and uh, then you reached out to us and that's so very we're so very grateful for that Shay. thank you by the way
1: mm-hmm. it's uh, I, I sort of do my search for people organically for artists organically and I do scrounge their social media and I. I you put out uh, you posted one of the songs that the band did, and I, it was outstanding. So, uh, yeah, you're putting out great stuff. Um, one thing, Kevin, I wanted to talk about was your uh, album that you put out uh, prior to this project and before your Life on Mars project, which we're talking about next, was the Son of the Sun album. And talk about that album, how it went.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, happy uh, uh, h- happy to, uh, for sure, Shay. Sure. Uh, New Regime had disbanded. Uh, sad ending with RCA BMG records. Not a unique story. Uh, and I was kind of left on my own. I shouldn't say left on my own. That makes me sound all abandoned and stuff. But uh, I had to devise what I wanted to do <laughs> I, had, I had to devise musically what I wanted to do with myself um, and uh, i I went for a kind of a more mm-hmm. organic approach to musicality. Uh, one reviewer I recall uh, said that the album was if if Bruce Springsteen had continued to make songs like uh, or continued to make albums like the earlier part of his career before born to run then this would have been a, a great fit uh so the idea was kind of get to get back to my earlier rock roots and do it up that way and there's a you know there's a tale to be told as there is you know when you take years to make a record um it, i i co-wrote most of the songs i should say not all of them but most of them with uh, bill bell an extraordinary talent uh uh, and you know, one of my best friends. Uh, although I don't see him very often these days, but um, you know, uh, Bill is uh, an incredible studio engineer. He's an incredible producer, incredible guitar player, incredible songwriter. Uh, working with you know Tom Cochran regularly. Uh, 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 Alex Lifeson, Rush. He helped Alex co-write his uh, his own solo album. Uh, And Bill and I basically literally lived together for uh, a couple of years on Parliament Street in Toronto and uh, wrote up most of the music and then recorded a great, great deal of it just down the street at Number 9 Sound. Uh, So good times, a lot of good times. And I I got to work with incredible players like Michael Fonfara, legendary Canadian keyboard player, uh, uh, Chris Brockway, Steve Kendry. I mean, you name it. It was just... uh, and, uh, it, it was just a glory day for me and I loved it. Um, I also was picked up by one of David Bowie's managers in the U S in New York city, uh, which was how the album became, uh, involved with Sony music. Uh, and I went down there on a writing tour to write with their hot shots. And, uh, and, uh, it took a while to get it released. It was, um, uh, there we well I shouldn't say we it was really a me at the time had a bit of a falling out with Sony um, and uh, then uh, a couple of years later picked up with uh, an indie uh, Kevin Wynn the former singer from Concan a Canadian hit band uh, had had turned in, had turned himself into a manager and so we took it from there and then released the album and. Uh, uh, overseas actually particularly overseas sold extremely extremely well and uh, there seems, still seems to be a lot of people uh, wanting me to re-release it but uh, yeah that's the shorthand story of that story shame oh, over,
1: yeah. overseas like across the the UK or other countries
2: across across upon the UK particularly strong uh, in Germany
1: uh, okay
2: I have no idea why but that just seemed to be the case and we did we did, actually did quite well here too i shouldn't i shouldn't uh reduce that but uh uh it's interesting mm, being a, a canadian it's interesting being a canadian when your music that you well you obviously are a canadian and you think you write like a canadian and perform like a canadian and there seems to be a strong appetite for it in uh, countries that uh for the most part, I, I myself have never been to, so it's just interesting to me. Yeah,
1: uh, I, I would say that's still continuing. Uh, just my podcast alone, uh, demographically and, and uh, geographically, uh, a lot of the listeners are coming from Asia, India, Germany, Paris. Uh, they're basically one to one with my Canadian and US followers, so which I'm quite surprised, especially Mm -hmm. the Canadian episodes. Yeah, so there is a thirst for Canadian music internationally. So you are also involved with the life on Mars, uh of Bowie show. Uh it was uh it's more of a you call it an emulation of his live music, but you also did a tribute I had a true root band called the Diamond Dogs. How was this different? This show,
2: ah, uh, yes. Okay, well, the Diamond Dogs was a project, uh, a very uh, popular Canadian band by the name of Honeymoon Suite. Uh, their manager, Stephen, ah, Pren- okay. Stephen Prendergast, had I'm not, I don't even recall how we met. Uh, I believe he saw me play with New Regime in a club somewhere. That's my best guess. At any mm-hmm. rate, he, he approached me about, he said, and this was when cover bands, or I shouldn't say cover bands, that's not true, uh, when tribute acts that would, that would just perform, yeah, tribute, you yeah, would, know, would just perform uh, the work of one artist and one artist only. And he he said, well, Kevin, you know, um I'd like to uh, build a band around you. Uh, we'll debut it at whatever, I've, the Copa or at any rate, a big downtown club. Uh, and people are going to love it and yada yada. So I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I'll I'll do that. Uh, and we rehearsed the band. He put together the band. Uh, and the only New Regime member that was in it was uh, uh, Neil A. Taylor, our drummer. Uh, and so we, for, uh, several months, we rehearsed, uh, all Bowie songs. Uh, and I would, I remember during one, one day, uh, I went over to Steve's office and I gave him a New Regime demo tape and, uh, and it was like, oh yeah, well, great. Thanks for the gift. Uh, anyway, how's, how's rehearsals going? And I, yeah. I got a sense that you know there was there was there was no interest there was zero interest in uh, in my original music or anything I would want to do originally. Uh, I was there to be mm-hmm. David Bowie and you know make the money and yada yada. And um, okay. uh, I simply uh, I I I quit Sorry the band. <laughs> I, I left. I said you know I'm, I'm more interested in,
0: uh, okay. in
2: original stuff. And as it turned as it turned out, I think it was a pretty good idea, and you know, in the long run. But it was certainly the riskier, uh, the riskier bet. So that's that's where the diamond dogs came from. Life on Mars, at least a decade and a half later, was a revisitation of that very idea.
1: Let's talk about the life on Mars uh, uh, Bowie show that you did. Uh,
2: life on Mars was there was a. Uh, there was a period of time where musically I wasn't really doing much. I was more engaged in theater uh, and occasional bits of uh, film and television. And uh, my longtime bass player uh, and friend, John James, uh, came to me uh, and proposed the idea of the Life on Mars project, which we, we called Heroes initially, uh, when we were having a barbecue with our... Okay. Uh, with our partners. And, um, I thought, well, yeah, no, that's cool. You know, I mean, I'd never done, I mean, other than the diamond dogs that never hit the stage, I, the only stuff that I had performed live for the most part was original music. Uh, but I felt, well, you know, this isn't just any original music. This is David Bowie. <laughs> okay. Um, and so playing, playing, playing two hours of David Bowie, uh, you know, or singing two hours of David Bowie per night uh is is uh, as close as it gets to being a dream for uh, any uh, any sensible singer. So and so you know in a very uh undeveloped way we, we just knocked it out, we played clubs, uh enjoyed it and and uh <clears throat> let me see and from there basically I was inspired to up the game, to make it much more theatrical, to involve uh, theatrical people, as well as top-grade musicians, of course. Like I said, I've been spoiled all my life with that. Uh, You know, enter Sasha, uh, enter, uh, you know, uh, costumes, enter professional theatre choreographers uh, helping us set up scenes. Uh, enter sub stories within songs, uh, and so we developed the show out from there to make it obviously much more dramatic, and you know, uh, a tribute to the great man's work, of course, but also in the spirit of uh, in the spirit of uh, live theater entertainment as well. So that's how that came about. Sean. And
3: we got to play in some uh, great venues, uh, mm-hmm. and. Played the CNE, I think, a couple of years in the world.
2: That we did. Uh, two or three at least, yeah.
1: I looked, I went on to the website, the link that you gave me, uh, the videos of your performances were
3: outstanding. Did very
2: thank- well. Oh, thank you. Did very thank
3: very you. well. And it was, I'll, I'll, I'll just interject that the snippet of how we got to Mercuretto was that. Uh, the band was playing at the ROM, which is a uh, museum here in Toronto and um,
2: The a- AGO Sash, mm-hmm. a- a- sash uh, art
3: gallery. Oh, I'm sorry the AGO is yeah. the art gallery. Yep. Yes That's right. See how foggy I am
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and So there yes. Uh, yes
3: all the uh, exactly <clears throat> I can't remember that tour Um, and the, there was an, an impresario there by the name of Gary top. And Kevin, I'll let you take the story from there.
2: Um, Gary, uh, came to the show, which was miraculous in Mm -hmm. and of itself because our manager, Mm -hmm. our manager had been inviting Gary to our shows for probably five or six years previous. And he, you know, for reasons one or other, never, never came. But to this one, he, uh, uh, and not being facetious, but he blessed us with his presence. He saw the show, uh, and with chats between uh, myself and the band and our, uh, and our uh, manager, he said, I'm not really into this uh, cover stuff. In other words, I'm not really into the tribute thing, but here's an idea, what would really perk my interest is if you guys would consider uh recovering glam songs B-sides basically most most of them anyway glam songs from uh, from the 70s only doing them in a in, in a completely different way in a completely different way so essentially uh, you know the the band molded it around and and well with with the most With them for the most part, there was no real mulling, it was like, Yes, we'll do it. (laughs) Um, I it took me a bit to wrap my head around it, I thought it was a a really good idea. Uh, and then so just to test the water, um, the life on Mars, uh, peoples who are the very same musicians that uh that uh uh, are Mercuretto, uh, we got together and decided. You know, democratically, which which first two songs we would take on. One of them was David Bowie's the "Assassin," and I for yes, the second one was "Fishnets and Cigarettes." Um, and so this was the first time in a creative context I'd really gotten to work with most of these guys, uh, because you know, not that there isn't a creative context for "Life on Mars," but it's different than recreating an entire song and making it your own. And I was—I didn't really have any expectations about my, myself, you know, about whether it was going to be great or maybe not so great or maybe even kind of crappy or whatever. I just went in, into it with an open mind. But I was completely smoked uh, by the collaborative abilities of uh, of uh, Sash and and Rob and Tanya and John and Chuck. Uh, These—they they just absolutely killed it and made it so easy for me to to fit myself in in that, you know, singer, uh, theater guy kind of way. Uh, and yeah. you know, it was, it was amazing. You know, it was, if, 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 well, if I had an expectation, it, we outstripped it by several times. So anyway, Sasha, you were going to say,
3: we, uh, it, it was an interesting process because we knew that we had limited time, uh, in the studio to do this. And so, the mandate was to learn the song as per the record, play through it once mm-hmm. or twice, and then completely strip it down and uh, change it to be that thing, you know, that, 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 with that directive of doing it, not in a lounge sort of way, but in a theatrical, something you could see uh, in a club back in the 40s or 50s, except in, uh, in a modern context. And so we had these four-hour creative sessions. And as Kevin says, uh, we got down to business. The studio was mic'd up. Everyone was ready to go. And we played the song uh, through a couple of times. And then we broke it down and tried to figure out, okay, you know, what are the great elements and and how are we going to create something new out of it? And uh, in short order, I think, you know, maybe 10, uh, 12 sessions, we would do two or three songs at a time uh if i remember correctly yep uh and we'd very quickly get through that uh you know democratically uh accumulated list of 20 25 songs and we got it down to 12 or 13 songs Mm
1: -hmm. well we're going to be listening to fishnets and cigarettes next uh you released this also in january of this year january 26 so We're going to give it a listen. Mercureto! (音楽) I'm
3: not afraid of
0: I'm not afraid of
1: I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. And you have that mask on, okay? Every time I look at the screen, I see that mask. It makes me
0: laugh. <laughs>
1: anyway, uh, no, I I, 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 lo- I love your, um, I find, uh, again, it's better than the New York Dolls. Uh, I love the soulful uh, approach oh, thanks, to the Shane. song. Listening to the track, Fishnets and Cigarettes, I found uh, the soulful approach that uh, your band did better than the original. I I found it more soulful anyways. And uh, also, maybe it's my theater thing coming back, but... uh, the original didn't seem to have a dramatic pause mid-track in your stint. Yeah,
2: and, and yeah, thank you for observing.
3: Or it was more dramatic. Yeah, well... And so I, here's an example of... Sorry. No, you go, Sash, please. We sent that song off to members, uh, the Conti brothers in New York, who were part of the uh, reimagined mm-hmm. New York Dolls. And uh, the feedback was oh, it's really cool in some parts, but then some parts it strays so far from the original that I can't even tell what the, what the song is. And I thought, wow, that's, that's very interesting because that sort of was the mandate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all depends how you look at it.
2: I, I, think, I think the uh, boys from the New York Dolls can be uh, forgiven for that, Sash, because you know what it's like if you write a song, you get attached to it in a certain way. You know, you played it maybe a hundred or a thousand times. Eh,
3: you know. It is what it is. Yep. Yep. You know. Not being disparaging, just pointing out that this was a song that uh, was actually sent out and we got some feedback from. And that's good. Any Uh feedback is better than no feedback, right?
1: Yeah. I think the listeners would prefer your would prefer your track, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say that, but uh, thanks. Jay. <laughs> I could be pretty blunt at times. Good, 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 like
0: that. <laughs> uh,
1: let's talk about the Iron Age Mystics Band. Yeah. Yeah, love it. It's like a whole album of resistance. Yes those of resistance, I love it. It's actually been hailed the best political rock album since Rage Against the Machines' yeah, debut. In fact, it was. That's quite a, quite a, quite a shout out. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the project background? And
2: Absolutely, Shay. Absolutely. Um, uh, this was uh, still at the time, I believe, uh, Life on Mars was uh we were playing, but again, not so rigorously that uh, I didn't have any other time on my hands. Uh, and by a kind of a, uh, by, by a kind of an act of providence, uh, I had met a fellow by the name of Greg Mount, who was a drummer uh, mm-hmm. at a mutual at a mutual friend's wedding, at a mutual friend's wedding and uh, he had heard that I was from New regime and said, hey, man, you know, do you want to maybe start a writing project? You know, I know some guys. And I said, well, okay, let's give it a crack. And so we did with no expectations, zero expectations. Uh, We got together in Greg's apartment where he had a studio set up and we would just kind of hash and smash away at, you know, little song bits and little tidbits and what have you. And I thought, well, this is kind of fun and entertaining. Um, but for the first little bit, I didn't take it all that seriously. And then we started to work on a, what a song bit that became, uh, you've got the power iron age mystics song. You've got the power, uh, and something clicked, you know, that invisible click. And I thought, wow, this is, this is going somewhere. This is actually very, very good. And that, uh, bumped us up to the next level where, uh, we've proven to ourselves that as a writing team, we can, we can do very, very good work. So let's uh, keep on in this uh, newfound tradition. And at the time also too, um, in a, in a kind of a private sense, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I've had decades of, uh, you know, uh, of uh of of luck and prosperity in in the field of music uh particularly uh when it comes down to uh being you know being an older musician who still gets to be played and still uh uh and has a has had a really good run of it so i wanted to employ some of the reading and studying culturally studying socially studying uh uh, political studying socio-political studying that i had done and i wanted to apply it lyrically in musical terms to uh this work and that was pretty much the bar that i set for myself from the beginning Mm -hmm. um and from there it morphed into uh sorry that we don't have any love songs on this record i was always jibed about writing too many love songs (laughs) um Don't know why who doesn't love who, do, who doesn't love a love song for going out loud uh, um, but uh, it took on a the work took on a very serious tone and uh, at the end of the day uh, the last the last quarter of the struggle to get the album done uh, was when we changed guard uh, our drummer Greg Mount who I mentioned had to drop drop out for personal reasons and Sasha who had already gotten his feet wet in the project was uh, the natural person to uh, to take over so uh we completed the album we put out the album in 2019 uh arguably i guess uh one of the best uh critically reviewed albums canadian albums at least uh of that year uh and it's something that you know i i will stand by and i'm very proud of i'm very very proud of that album and it's not it's not over <laughs> it's, we're not done but uh, but as a standalone piece so that's, that's the shorthand of the, that story.
1: And are you still anticipating a release of Pride Before the Fall in this fall?
2: Uh, well, the song itself, the the original song, Pride Before the Fall, was the name okay. of the album. Um, yeah. And that was released in 2019. Uh, but what we have done uh, on through the awkwardness of, uh, of of these times, these days, we've done uh, essentially a, a, a redux of a song called "Thought Police,"
0: which mm-hmm. is
2: a uh, fairly powerful song from the original album. Uh, and myself and Sasha, well, I won't give game away, but we have we have more material forthcoming. So there you go.
1: Okay. No, I I. When I went on the website, it said there's a four piece piece as in P E A C E digital release, Pride Before the Fall of 2021.
2: Ah,
3: uh, yes. Okay, that's yes. what I was referring so the to. plan there. Oh,
1: Sasha! Is... <laughs> I'm sorry. Now we have, now we have so a George Sock puppet on the video. <laughs> okay, can you tell me about that
2: four piece digital release? You go, Sash.
3: Um, So the idea was uh, we played at a venerable Toronto location once again, this time called The Orbit Room. Okay. uh, Owned by none other than or co-owned none other than uh, by Alex Lifeson from Rush uh, and friends Tim Nauter. And they gave us a date and we decided to do an acoustic uh, presentation of the record with guitarist Sil Simone and Desmond Leahy mm-hmm. and Tiny Guadino and uh, of course Kevin and myself and uh, then we thought well this is really a, a, a very interesting in as Kevin said a redux version uh, <clears throat> so let's explore creating recreating the songs uh, with a, another vision and so, yes, we have some remixes and some uh, reinterpretations. And they they will be trickled, fed out, much like the vaccine is right now. Okay.
1: Uh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. So we're going to hear Love is Oxygen next. It was released October 2018. Uh, it's a bit heavier, but still disco-y, your version of it. Uh, could you talk about uh, that rendition?
2: I, I think Sash it's best that you take the lead for this big yeah. It's
3: probably it's probably the closest to the original uh version, albeit uh we played the long version of the song. Uh it's a cover by the band Sweet or of the band Sweet. Yeah. And a Bullroom Blitz, I guess, would be their most noticeable or memorable song. Uh, but as the mandate was to do B-sides, we uh, chose Love Is Like Oxygen and mm-hmm. had a really good time with that as well, from what I remember.
1: And if your release was uh, 7 minutes and 14 seconds. Why did you choose the long
3: version? It was more dramatic. Uh, in in our minds, uh, the, the the short version was just in and out, uh, and you know left a tip on the table. This one was uh, uh, more of an exploration, especially the middle section, with the great piano work by Rob Cooper once again. Well, I liked it. that. That
1: was you. good. We're going to hear "Love Is Like Oxygen" by
3: Mercuretto <laughs> Yeah, baby. <laughs>
0: Okay. That was the Is like oxygen. You get too much, you get too high. Not enough, and you're gone.
1: Sasha, I'm having a hard time keeping my my interview face on every time I look at George on the screen. What are you doing to that Uh, monkey, Sasha? Uh, Okay. (laughs) So, next talk we're going to talk about, uh, I wanted to cover enough of the music that you put out to give listeners an idea of... uh, what the band is doing, and we're going to be looking at 20th Century Boy. The original artist was T-Rex, and you released it February of 2019. Can you talk about the approach and why you approach the song that way? It seems more
3: upbeat than the original. Well, there's two, there, there, there's two versions of it, and I'll give that to Kevin, why we did that and, uh, and how we did that. Kevin? Yeah.
2: Um, okay. The, uh, well, again, through the democratic system of uh, you know what songs are we going to tackle, um, we all agreed that uh, T Rex, uh, T Rex, the uh, uh, the UK uh, glam star, or one of the great UK glam stars at the time, um, we should certainly cover one of his songs. So, "20th Century Boy" came up. Everybody dug it, and we had such a good time with it. The the version that you are going to play is version one. Okay. Uh, but while we were doing the sessions for it, we, we, we came up with a completely different version than our completely different version that is completely different than mm-hmm. uh, the T-Rex version. Well, not completely different, but certainly different enough. Uh, so we did a much more downbeat kind of... It sounds like it would be the soundtrack for a... For for, uh, well, to me, to my ears, it sounds like it would be the soundtrack for an old-fashioned Western movie or something, you know? And it's uh, 20th Century Boy version one, 20th Century Boy version two, uh, The Smoking Gun. Oh, yeah, baby, The Smoking Gun. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and so I got to invoke a lot of the theater stuff. You know, do the baritone. Yeah, man, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that kind of deal. Um so that's that's the second one. Uh but I, I guess to to kind of to kind of rally back to the point is that we had so much fun with that song we couldn't resist recording two versions of it. Uh and this is version one, the one that you're about to play.
1: And has version two been released as
2: well? Not yet. No. no. Okay.
1: Go. Cool. We're gonna listen to Soon 20
2: to S. Not yet.
1: Okay, we're going to listen to 20, 20th Century Boy, version one.
2: Mercuretto! Mercuretto! <laughs> yeah! I want to be mine.
1: I loved your take on it. I, I, thank,
0: thank you, Jay.
1: <laughs> so what what was it about the song that made you want to have more fun with it than the others? It's just a goofy song.
2: Oh.
3: I say Gosh. it's a goofy song. I, it, 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 yeah, but it is. It's kind of... And it's... A, it, 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 Whoa, it's wait, a... Wait a second. I don't think
2: the original... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No. I insist. Please, after you. Well... I'll just try not to speak for Sasha, but I don't think the original is goofy. You're correct. Uh, no, it's, it's not it. Yeah. The original is not goofy. Uh, our first version of it is uh, upbeat and fun. And then from somewhere in between version one and version two, Mercuretto style, uh, we just kind of went fun and goofy. So we put, we, you know, kind of took version. We we kind of took T-Rex's version, combined it with our version, and then reinvented it to make a fun, mm-hmm. goofy version. Fun fun, and goofy version. So that's my explanation, Sash. Got anything to add? No,
3: no, I never have anything to add.
2: <laughs> oh, bull. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> no you just keep us laughing with your video <laughs> Mr. George is back on the screen uh, I have, actually have a childhood story about that <laughs> anyways so what's next what's next for the band what are you going to be releasing And
2: Kevin um, the next the, the next single that I'm planning to release is David Bowie's The Assassin Oh, wow. Uh, The Assassin is a song off uh, David Bowie's Lodger. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, just to kind of put a a footnote in Mercuretto's work, uh, we say with Love is Like Oxygen took it maybe 20 or 30 degrees away Mm -hmm. from the original. Depending which song you're talking about, we took it 40, 50, 150 degrees off the chart uh david bowie's uh assassin uh from lodger as i mentioned already uh this one went in exactly the opposite direction of the original um which was important for me i think uh, I, it was completely unintentional. I, and, uh, as I uh, uh, read it from the band, that we would go in such a very, very vigorously direction from the original David Bowie song, which is, of course, as David Bowie does, brilliant. Um, <clears throat> but the the what what I enjoyed about it as a singer was the fact that I'm already to some degree identified uh, by various uh, peoples as being that guy who sings David Bowie really well and a lot like David Bowie. Uh, So it was kind of cool for me to take, uh, be a part of a project that took a David Bowie song in a very different direction. And I could apply my own uh, vocalization of a David Bowie song that was completely my own, which oddly enough, when it all comes down in the mix, sounds like a bit like David
3: Bowie, (laughs) if that makes
2: any sense. How'd I do Sash? What do you think?
3: I'm, uh, I, I, I love it because again, it is uh, such a departure and, uh, it's almost seemed, uh, like the, all the sessions, uh, were, uh, lessons for me, uh, in, uh, the delicacies of, of the voice and, uh, inflection and uh things that as an engineer uh when you get to work with a a very good great singer like kevin and tanya um you know you want to be able to be ready to capture that performance and uh Mm -hmm. so that was one example of a lyric uh that was powerful and then was interpreted, uh, equally as powerful. And those long drawn out notes, all that uh, stuff really resonated with me. So I was really a fortunate and, uh, to work on a song with these talented people, but at the same time, uh, to do it in such a way that, that was inspiring and, and, uh, educational.
1: What I really like about, uh, I, I guess, uh, your entire uh, career uh, uh, and also the projects you two have done together with Iron Age and uh, <laughs> uh is the, the theatrical aspect to everything. Uh, the way you approach the music, the way you rewrite the, your renditions, your performance of um It's outstanding. It really does set your band apart from other bands.
3: I I, I can confidently say for uh, both Kevin and myself, thank you you very much for that, uh, that uh, we are of the mind that when you go to work, you get dressed for work. We don't show up uh, in our street clothes. And uh, so you do put on the theater. Right, it's it's and you don't want to break the fourth wall when you're performing, Mm -hmm. and that goes back to I think what you were saying earlier on, but uh, moving from keyboards to lead vocals, it it, maybe it broke that fourth wall, Um, and so there's that respect for the art of music and theater, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 just I think that's the way to do it.
1: Well, definitely shines through. Mm -hmm. Definitely shines through. One thing I want to point out is uh, that I love um, is your spoken voice overdubs uh, with the Iron uh, Iron Age Mystics. Was that really Bernie Sanders on track nine?
2: Uh, It was Bernie Sanders on track nine. Absolutely. Ah. Yeah. Uh Um. if if I can just give you a a kind of a brief background about how that song developed is, is that we had everything planned and arranged, uh, except for the bridge. Uh, and we were going into the studio that afternoon. It was Sunday and I had heard Bernie Sanders, uh, on YouTube, uh, give an incredible, an incredible speak, uh, Mm Which, which he did. So basically I ripped the uh, the audio from YouTube and I said yeah, to the engineer, I said, I, I need to hear this here. I need to hear this in the bridge. And so he put it in the bridge and it worked beautifully. Uh, obviously made the final mix. And then I was speaking to our manager several months later and I said, well, this is Bernie Sanders, who at the time had, uh, you know, that was one of the earlier Iron Age Mystic songs. He had not uh, run for uh, the Democratic uh, 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 elect to be president. Right? Mm-hmm,
0: yeah.
2: uh, this is when he was just a outspoken, out, outspoken senator from Vermont. And I said, we've we got to approach Bernie about this. I don't know how, but here, do something. So our manager sent uh, an email to the office of Bernie Sanders. The office of Bernie Sanders got back to her in 15 minutes with a very cryptic email going, where can we hear it being the song? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> all right. And so <laughs> and I am thinking, funny. okay, you know, Bernie's a great guy, power to the people, <laughs> but, you know, he's also 82 years old and the song is called Big Bad, You Know What. So uh, I'm not really holding out a great deal of uh, hope that this is going to go well. At any rate, so we send the link to the song. Uh, they, they they hear the song and get back to us in about 15 minutes and go, where's my song? Oh, Sash, geez, you're just really too much sometimes. Um, at any rate, comic relief. Uh, yeah, so the office of Bernie Sanders gets back to us in about 15 minutes and goes, and goes, we love it. Thank you uh, for including Bernie in this song, "Run with It." And it was like, wow, we just got a, you know, we just got an advocacy from, uh, you know, one of the one of the most respectable dudes in American politics, right? So that's cool. At any rate, that's that's how that whole thing on on, on you know came came
1: about. That was pretty cool. I like. I love the way you put spoken word in in your music. I really do. really do. That's probably why I love the um, cover that you did for Dancing Barefoot. Uh, it's just my favorite of the four you shared with me today. I love it.
2: Yeah. Oh, thank you, Shay. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Creative. A lot of times those creative calls were just made on the fly because – you know, we had space to fill and other times it was a lot more conscious and deliberate. Yeah, yeah. it depends, it depends okay. on which song you're talking about from Mercuretta to Iron Age Mystics, but yeah.
1: Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about uh, any future projects that we haven't covered?
3: Uh, well, we're pitching a show, <laughs> an animated show. Well, these favorite. projects that we've
1: I, I wasn't going to bring that up but you want to talk mm. about the
2: mission?
3: We have things in the works.
2: Okay, let's talk about the mission. You first,
3: Sash. No, well, I, yes. I, I would say that uh, as Kevin really? said before, it's uh, not over yet and uh, there are multiple projects in the works and if they come to light it's uh, it'll be for a, because we did a lot of work. And we're 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 trying to get music and uh art out to the people.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes, and and I really truly at this point wish uh Shay that your uh, listening audience could actually see the fine entertainment through video that Sasha has been for- providing us for the past hour and a half.
1: They can hear me laughing. <laughs> <laughs> un,
2: un, unparalleled. Spielberg would be envious. I'm telling you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the Bernie Sanders face was a clicker. That's <laughs> funny. So, uh, are we going to talk about the mission or not? You want to leave it up uh, for updates on your site uh, when you're ready to release it?
3: What is that? What is that website? Uh, oh. That's m e r c u r e t t o dot com Mercureto.
2: yeah what he said yep
1: yeah so updates will be on uh, given on the site if they subscribe by email. Well
2: or? um I'll, I'll give it to you shorthand is is that we have an animated project uh basically it's a fictional story co-written between uh, myself and my spouse uh using the real people in uh the band Mercuretto uh to uh basically present a several part animated show that is uh, employs the music that we've covered but also has a storyline that is i believe very very funny very socially satirical uh and very relevant for our times um hey if you you, you gotta laugh right uh, so, yes, but that is a work in progress.
3: And we are looking for a director, right?
2: Yes, in fact, we are.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, it's incredibly well written. <laughs> you gave me a sneak peek of it, and I, as a writer, I was blown oh, away. You. Blown away. I,
2: so, you and your spouse have written it. Yes, that. Uh, it was, well, I started to get, when we were building the Mercureto website, we needed bios, and the guys started to send in their bios. And, uh, as entertained as I was by bios, I thought that this is kind of not so interesting just to me, you know, just because I'm used to, you know, bios and what have you. And so I started to riff. I took every individual band member and I turned them into a fictional character. And from that point, uh, I started to develop an overarching storyline. And from that point, I went to my my, uh, my spouse who is a renowned professional writer and teacher of writing uh, and a really great gal, by the way. And uh, I said, is there any merit in what I'm writing here? And she said, yeah, no, this is wonderful and fantastic. So with her creative input, uh, I developed what became or what has become uh, the Mercuretto, wealthy industrialists from the uh, 1950s or 40s who get transported through Tesla technology into the future to save the world from, to save the 99% from the 1%. In other words, the 1%, you know, in a battle with the 1%, very wealthy industrialist, yada, yada. You know, this whole dramatic uh, fictional tale uh, uh, using Mercuretto's music as a cover, uh, You know. Yeah. At any rate, I won't get any more into it than that, but uh fun stuff. And yes, Sash, we are looking for a director. No,
1: that's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I can hardly wait to see it. I can hardly wait to see it to to come to fruition. Uh very interesting. Very interesting. So all your music can be found on Bandcamp.
3: Yes. The only place to uh Properly buy music and support artists.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, uh, Sasha and Kevin. It was really great to have you on. Sasha, you're, you were funny. <laughs>
3: That's what I do.
1: <laughs> Get me laughing. If yeah, people should have see what he was doing on video yeah. while we were uh, recording this audio. You, you know, Sasha. is he... insane. George the puppet, Bernie. Yeah.
2: You know, Shay, I'll let you in on a little private thought that I've had throughout the decades of working with Sash is just sometimes when he's going about his uh his his you know being himself, I think, man, you would actually be a better front man than me.
0: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> Except for if we were to trade places, he'd be a much better front man than I would be drummer. <laughs> trust you, trust me on that one. So thank you, Sash.
3: Thank you, Kevin.
1: Thank you for your time. Thank you. Have a great day.
3: Thanks, Shay. Thanks, Shay. Bye. Bye now.
1: Well, thank you all for tuning in to the Buzzer Podcast Network. Season 2 begins soon. The Buzzer Podcast will wind down Season 1 of both programs. The top episodes of Season 1 will start airing September the 6th. These are the Season 1 shows with leading fan engagement, subscribes, and download count. The gratitude I have for the remarkable artists who share their music on the Buzzer Network is over the moon. To our loyal listeners, thank you for tuning in and being a powerful part of our achievement. Because of you, the Buzzer Podcast is top 10% of the most popular shows out of over 2.6 million podcasts, ranked by Listen Score. Follow us on Instagram at TheBuzzRollMedia and on Twitter at TheBuzzerIndy. Subscribe these at TheBuzzerFod.com. Without you, none of what we do is possible. Listen in and remember, without music, our campus is blank. On Air indie. From my pad to yours, open the airways. Until next time, cheers y'all.